You're listening to the Great to Greater podcast with Tiffany Rufino, where we talk about all things business and life. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Great to Greater with Tiffany Rufino. I am Tiffany Rufino, and normally I would introduce my partner in crime, uh, my co-host, but today... Uh, He's being replaced, and we are replacing him with a very special guest that I am honored that accepted the offer to be on our podcast today. I'd like to introduce everybody to Didi Vasquez. Is it Vasquez or Vasquez? Vasquez. Vasquez. My bad. So, hi, Didi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tiffany. Nice (laughs) nice being here. (laughs) So Diddy is a Proctor Gallagher consultant. And before we go into our topic on communication, um, I would like you to just kind of give everybody a little introduction, a little bit of a a bio about you. And what does that mean to be a Proctor Gallagher consultant? All right. Well, I guess a little bit about me. Uh, My background is really in the aerospace industry, working on the business side of that industry and kind of... um, negotiating deals and contracts for um, the expansion of that industry. So uh, in that work, I um, kind of climbed the ladder, you know, fairly quickly, and, 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 and I faced challenges at different levels that required me to kind of almost like believe a bigger image of myself so that I could perform at a higher level pretty quickly. So I got involved with different projects that required me to kind of expand what I thought I was capable and, and I did that successfully. So quickly I realized that um, they, people on the outside believe much more about me than I believe about myself because they all see and put me in these uh, uh, assignments that I necessarily didn't believe I was capable of doing, and I ended up being successful, not only successful, but recognized for the performance in them. So I learned pretty quickly, you know, and this has been all through my career, 13 years of career in, in the aerospace industry, that there is something that I that holds me back from maybe pursuing different things that the people around me are don't believe the same limitations about myself. They believe a bigger image and they give me opportunities I succeed. So it was pretty quickly that I realized that there is a lot of internal talk that almost like <clears throat> makes people uh, make decisions, engage in things or, or, or not that are going to expand their growth and that they keep themselves from. So um, that's a little bit of my background and and how I got interested in the Proctor Gallagher uh, work is because they have spent about 75 years of research into the fundamental mechanics of human behavior and achievement. So what they have done is really boil it down to the root cause of what um, it really causes people's results in their performance. And it's all having to do with the conditioning that we all receive when we were children. You know, people say that that children are like sponges, they absorb everything. So it turns out that when you are a child, growing up, you're eager to to learn how to be a human. So your environment, the people around you, the media that you're exposed to, the the circumstances around you kind of created an image within you of what you believe you're worthy and capable. And then you live your entire life from that Im- with that image of yourself, with that cap of success or cap of what you're capable of um, that you learned when you were a child. And, and this all happens subconsciously. You're not aware of it. You're not thinking about it all the time. It's just kind of like that was programmed into your mind, and then you carry that on throughout your life. So a lot of times what happens to me is that we kind of uh, set our sights out to a, a 
path of success or a career that we learned that maybe we should do uh, based on our environment where we were taught, and we checked all those boxes. We get the career, we get the marriage, we get the house, we get uh, everything, but we still feel that longing for more and growth, like, like that unfulfilling, you know, lack of fulfillment anyway. So what I help people do is to really recognize that part of their conditioning that's stopping them from where they want to go. And we go to the root cause. We work on your subconscious mind to almost like identify, challenge, and overcome those beliefs and habits that are keeping you from where you want to be, which stem from things that you learn when you were children that a lot of people don't really touch on because it might be so uh, trigger so many emotions. So we guide you through the process to almost like rewire those beliefs about what you're capable of uh, so that you can break through the barriers that you're facing. So we call that a lot of the the invisible side of success because a lot of success happens within you before you can see the results on the outside. And that is, you know, mastering your thinking process, understanding how your beliefs and habits are created, how to design new beliefs and habits for the results that you're wanting, and how to impress that in your subconscious with a plan of action to be able to make permanent changes in your life. So that's kind of what we do at the Practical Gallagher Institute. Okay, wow. So um, this normally happens with you and I when we talk, and I I had shared um, (laughs) prior to the call that we had a topic that we were going to go on, but... um, there's so many questions that came up while I heard you speak. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, wait, I have to, this may be an interview more than a conversation, but we're just going to play That's it by fine. ear. So I, I think my first question for you is you mentioned that more people believed in you than you believed in yourself, which I find is with a lot of us, especially a lot of us with so much creativity um, and people that uh, bring to life things that came from within themselves versus something they were told to do. Like I think if, for example, if I'm given a project, right, and I have all the materials that are provided for me in all the directions, I have more confidence because it's somebody else's uh, work versus if I were the one that had to create the content, that had to facilitate the material, that had to make sure that the audience understood what I was trying to communicate, right? So um, right. for some reason, that that's where the internal conflict can come from within, I think, more of a creative style because there is no rules for painting, right? Like, or for art, there might be maybe the color charts and things like that. But other than that, it's more perception and judgment on what works for people when they view art. So when you shared um, that, uh, you know, you were still working through that belief in yourself that other people had, what was that turning point for you where all of a sudden it clicked and you were like, I have to change from, you know, other people believing in me to me believing in myself? Like, what was that, that, that moment? So I would say that that moment was <clears throat> when I found uh, the Proctor Gallagher material. So I, I was what we call an unconscious competent, meaning that I was following <clears throat> a process to overcome limiting beliefs without knowing that I was doing. And and the, the quickest way to overcome beliefs is to take an action that counteracts that belief and reinforces the new belief that you're trying to, you know, ingrain in your brain. Mm-hmm. So I, I was being forced to take the action and get part and leave the project and, and make those decisions and, and sit down across in that negotiation that was bigger than I thought I could. 
Um, and it was, it was, it was part of my job, right? So I was forced to do that. Um, not in a, in a, in a forceful mean way or anything like that, but it was as, a, as an assignment of opportunity of growth because they saw something in me that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I ended up killing it every time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did a great job and Clearly. then, and it surprised myself. I surprised myself and, and I got recognition and, and I was put into even bigger projects and stuff like that, you know? And, um, so what clicked for me, I, I was doing that. I was doing that, but always feeling never enough. Like Tiffany, it's it, almost like it never went away. Like I, my uh, amount of responsibility and pay kept growing, but I still felt equally not good enough. So when I did, uh, seven years ago, I started kind of studying personal development, which led me to the understanding of those subconscious beliefs that you hold about yourself and whatnot. But it was, you know, years later that I got to Proctor Gallagher, and they have what I call the sick person. And if you have followed me around on social media, you probably have seen a video about it, or or if you're going to stick with me for a little while, you will hear about it and see it. And it's almost like a a simple stick-figure diagram of what the mind does and where your beliefs are stored and your habits are stored and how all that works, and it affects the way that you feel about yourself, Right. So um, when I got, when I saw that diagram and I met with somebody on Zoom to kind of study it together, it clicked, like it, it made so much sense. The way that I feel is because of this and this is how my beliefs work and oh my God, and it's affecting the way that I behave and you know, like, so the action is required to rewire those beliefs. So I was being forced to certain actions that I did not even, I would not have picked for myself. I would have never volunteered myself because I always felt not good enough. Mm. So a lot of people, what I discovered with my clients is that, oh no, 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 you are ready. You are capable and you are worth it. You're worthy of the result that you're going to get if you just step through that fear, right? Yeah. And you're not going to not gonna really feel it until after. <laughs> you're not right. going to always like, believe right. it until after. <laughs> so what I help people is push them through, right? And there's steps to it. It's not like we're going to now take all the risks in the world and, and be blind to the reality, right? Just, that's not what I'm encouraging. But what I'm encouraging is like, understand that what you are truly capable of is much more than what you feel. So if you can normalize that, then you can take uh, inspired action towards what you want that kind of break through those barriers all at once and you kind of step into a new, new level of potential. That is possible. That is what we call quantum leaps. You know, instead of progressing, taking small steps at a time and feeling comfortable and, to, you know, you kind of push through that terror barrier with the techniques that we teach, and you can step into that next level of potential pretty quickly in comparison to the rest of the world. So, um, it, it you know, it's a, it's a, I have answered so many things at once, right? But it's, no. a, it's a really <laughs> uh, structured process because there's really like a science behind it. And the reason why I became a Proctor Gallagher consultant is because out of all the programs and all the studies that I have done in understanding the workings of the mind, they have the, the most uh, easy to understand and follow program. And once I found that, I was like, I want to do nothing more but to teach this to other people. Right. And, and this program is not the only one that I have studied and I have done. You know, I've done so many, but they all speak with, this, with one voice. Yes. This has a much structured approach to be able to teach people that and understanding the, the thought process. And, and, and you and I have talked about this, you know, the, 
the energy, right? And, and, and there's a lot of talk about everything is energy and, and, and whatnot. And that is all related to the creative process. So in, when you understand the thinking process is, is how you understand your role in the creative process. And that's a little deeper, right? We don't have to go into that right sure now if you don't want could. to. But we could do whatever we want. Well, the manifesting process. Right, right. The boss. Oh, wait, I thought you were the boss. <laughs> so uh, so the, the manifesting process, and this is, I get very passionate about this, so I'm going to get a little deep. Like, th- people need to understand that it's, it is a simple process that we all do already. But unaware, we are unaware of how we are creating our results. Unconsciously, how we are creating. The, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So we are creating the results. Whether you love the results that you're having right now, and, and that could be the kind of relationships that you end up having, that could be the kind of income that you're earning, the kind of career that you're in, the kind of development on your business, uh, what else? Uh, the health and wellness, whatever you're, you know, trying to do something better at or achieve a higher level. Um, you are going to, you're manifesting your current level of success in that area, currently right now, by the way that you're, you're directing your thoughts and that is making you, uh, awakening some feelings within you, which is from your subconscious mind and is, is influencing the actions that you take, the decisions that you make. Okay, so hold that on. Your I'm, results- I'm going to pause you right there for one second because I want to dig into that part real quick. So like when we talk about what we're influencing, um, you know, in our lives, which I'm totally with you on, you know, as far as the manifestation, the frequency, the energy we put out, like whether we're getting back negative um, results, you know, whether we're still uh, gaining weight and we're like, but I worked out on the treadmill for like five minutes. I don't understand why it's not happening, um, you know, and not <laughs> understanding that like there's there's more depth to it. Um, part of that goes back to what you said before about like the condition beliefs and how we were raised, right? Because that could transfer from when you were younger to like, you know, maybe you didn't see family members more in sports or athletics or eating necessarily necessarily healthy, or maybe you did and it was forced upon you. So you rejected it, right? So it could go both ways. But um, one of the questions yeah. I wanted to like ask you on your thoughts on um, was for the genera- generational piece, when a child is growing up, do you believe they're more influenced by what is said to them by their, um, you know, g- guardians, parents, relatives, or is it more of what they observe around them at that age? Or do you think it's just uh, equal on both ends? So I believe that the child absorbs how they are made to feel. So the collection of the inputs that they're getting, so they're getting information from their parents, from the school, from the media, from the, and um, it all collectively makes them feel a certain way about what they are, they should do, they shouldn't do, what they're capable of, what the the kind of personality that they have, the kind of achievement that they're uh, uh, worthy and capable of. Um, the kind of career they should go into, the kind of uh, family relationships they're capable of having, mm-hmm. the kind of respect they're able to having. So all that is an, almost like you create an image for yourself based on how you're made to be feel. So originally we're, we're, we're thinking about think, uh, talking about bullying, right? Yeah. And uh, there is the, the, the bully has been 
you know, and, and, and we can clarify, I'm not a, a mental health expert or anything like that, but that person uh, has been made feel that way before, either by their parents, somebody that has made them feel small, or has uh, 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 it practiced that kind of behavior in front of the child, right, mm -hmm. as a way to get out of a situation. So whenever the child feels like, you know, more than likely that adult, that was engaging in that behavior uh, was coping with high, uh, strong emotions that were popping up for them, whether it's not showing up as a good parent, whether it's being, you know, feeling like they're irresponsible, whatever, to cope with that, to not, instead of saying, oh, I've made decisions that make me feel irresponsible, that I was not there for you, my kid, and da 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 they cope with these behaviors to show that they're bigger than, than it, right? Mm -hmm. So when it, the ch child is in school, then they, whenever they are uh, feeling these like hard emotions, they don't know how to process them. So they have learned that to process that kind of situation, you yell and scream and put people down, and you know, because that's what you were taught to do. Yeah, you haven't learned how to so, regulate your emotions at that point because you haven't seen that happen in your in your uh, well, surroundings. Right, you learn that that's how you cope with it. That right. you learn that that's how you process it. Right, so it's a learned behavior. So all these are um, habitual patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting. This is, if mm -hmm. if we can boil it down, listen. If I can boil this down for my messaging to the world, right? What we experience is a result of habitual patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that and you understand the second piece of it, that this that was programmed into you, and you can reprogram it. <laughs> you know what's interesting? So that, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, th th that is my main message. Like, whatever you're experiencing right now, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You That's a result of your old programming. It just needs updating. You just learn, need to learn how to do that. And that's what I help people do, um, understanding how to design that new image of what you want to be and the results that you want and then um, impress that in your subconscious and make it a new habitual pattern of, you know, thinking, feeling and acting so you can um, achieve it. Anyways, back to what you were saying. No, you're good. No, this is all great stuff. So um, what I've learned, I, I think, is in line with um, what you're talking about. So there's there's three things that I want to bring up. Um, first being like unconsciously incompetent and not knowing that there's a problem. And because you don't know that there's a problem, you don't know that there's an action that needs to be taken. Right. And then where right. you came from, where it was like, OK, now I'm consciously incompetent. Like I'm aware that people believe in me. I just don't know what to do yet to believe in myself. So I'm going to search things out and I'm going to search how to learn about that. And then once you learned about Proctor Gallagher um, and the teachings and you started studying it, you became consciously competent, right? Like you're not a master at it at that point, but you're like, okay, now I know what I need to do. Now I know where I want to improve and what I want to be. So I'm going to keep putting this into uh, my behaviors and I'm going to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm changing my behaviors and I'm becoming that person that I set that vision out to be. And then once you do that, then you are um, back to being like, unconsciously competent because now it's just second nature like you don't even have to think about it it happens for you 
just naturally because you created that behavior. It's like, you know, you just know how to drive home at night. You don't need the GPS and you just know that you're there and you don't remember how you got there. You know, that's the stuff that I, I learned in the past. So um, it's a journey for everybody. It doesn't just happen like in, in one session. It's a lot of emotional digging and it's a lot of mental understanding and, and like you said, mindset um, from there. I also um, think that what you said about like uh, someone's behavior and observing the chaos that people might uh, use out loud, right? Like arguing or loud noises and voices and slamming things and passive aggressiveness. Um, I also think with bullying that it's also a part of control, right? Like it could be that there's no control in the house um, or like, uh, not sustainability, but uh, a consistency rather with the parenting. Like maybe um, somebody comes from a home that's a hoarder, right? You know, and it, it's just chaos everywhere and they can't find their stuff no matter how much they try to clean and help the, the guardians that are raising them. Or, you know, maybe it's just like the kids are running around crazy and you're the oldest child and you're the one that all of a sudden becomes responsible for the rest of the family members. Or it could be maybe a family member is sick and they're your guardian and all of a sudden you have to grow up quick. Sometimes that might be reflected in bullying behavior outside of the house because there's no control there but i can control this smaller kid at school or like the weaker quote unquote you know child that's at school and let that rage out right so i think there's a challenge sometimes in communication with the schools and understanding that it's not always obvious that hey this great parent comes in and checks in on their kid all the time and is always like checking in on their schoolwork with the teachers they show up at the meetings but then at home like i said you know it's it's a hoarder you got to climb over mountains of stuff and their living environment isn't as great as what's perceived and so at that point what do you think the well before i go into that then there was one other thing you said that i loved and i don't know if you even caught it but like we you and I, when we talk, we, we always talk about you got to work on the mindset first before you can work on the behavior, right? Like you, you can't teach someone who's pissed off how to do something because they're not listening. They've checked out. Um, but what you had said was that if someone has a fear, they just have to do it to conquer that fear sometimes, which is reverse of what you and I normally mention. But it doesn't always have that set pattern because for different people it's going to be different things and that's why your coaching and you know the work that you do with your clients is so important because it's customized based on who the person is and what their what you see their capabilities at are which is also what people did for you when you were in that place you know it's not cookie cutter um sometimes it's just take the leap babe and then we'll figure out your confidence later <laughs> you know um right and so when I think about the school piece, and I think that, you know, being in school, even as like, you know, let, let's skip elementary for a while because they're still working on emotional regulations and all that stuff. But maybe middle school, like the hormonal years for teenagers and stuff like that. Um, and, and you're a mom, so you understand this. I'm not a mom, but I have uh, six nieces and nephews that I absolutely adore. And they're, yeah, that's another story. But... <laughs> When I think about, like, if you don't have the support at home, what do you think the teachers, uh, based on your experience and based on your knowledge, what do you think the teachers can do to help 
kids understand uh, more about their emotions and communication and um, I guess controlling that anger at that point? So I I would say two things. And and, um, I think that we have to normalize uh, within our children the existence of those emotions that bubble up. Mm -hmm. So somebody said something and it hurt your feelings you know, without getting too much deeper into it, you're not going to sit down the child, well, when you were little, somebody made you feel this way. And I, that is relevant at that moment, right? right. What the, the priority is to regulate their nervous system. They are engaged in a, you know, the, their, their nervous system is aroused. So you're going to feel like everything is danger right now. So everybody that touches you, you're going to, you know, if, if you're brave, you punch them. Right. <laughs> and if you're, uh, if you're not brave, you, you cry, you curl into a corner and cry. Right, like it's a it's a, a different coping mechanism for the same thing. So I think that um, the, having the teachers first of all understand it for themselves, mm. for the teachers themselves, and also you cannot because I believe wholeheartedly that you cannot give what you don't give yourself. So training the teachers and the in the educators how to manage their own emotions and how all that works. How do you get triggered and identifying your triggers and, and then have a successful process to be able to process the emotion and acknowledge it and release it for themselves will allow them to guide that process for the children when they are triggered. You know, understanding that sometimes you just have to, like, stay away because there's it's not coming down if the person that triggered you is right in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not healthy to just sit you down in front of them and be like, say you're sorry. Right. That's gonna that's gonna fix nothing. You have to help them understand why they acted that way because more than likely, they feel awful. They're not gonna admit it, but they feel awful. Yeah. Like the, the energy, the energy that they feel after they punch somebody, or they scream at somebody, or they say something mean. I mean, that comes back to you right. immediately. So you feel awful about it, and you may never admit it, but you do. So having a teacher that can sit down with them, it's like, hey. What are you feeling right now? I get it. I get it. You can punch this wall if you want to. I'm not going to judge you. But I, I I, want to know what you're feeling. And maybe and maybe right now you don't want to say it. And I have done this with my kid. And um, I, I, something that I, you know, heard her feelings. And she was super mad, super mad. And she just kind of started crying and going in the corner. And I just sat next to her and I said, I know that I hurt your feelings. And I'm sorry. And you don't need to talk to me right now. But I'm going to sit here. You don't have to say anything. I'm going to sit here and say I'm sorry. And whenever you're ready to talk, you can talk to me, right? And she took about like five to ten minutes. I can't remember. But I sat there and she was just mad and crying. And when she was when she was able to talk, it's almost like it never happened. Like she, she was allowed to cry and be mad. And, and there's nothing wrong with being mad. I hurt your feelings. I get it. I'm here to say I'm sorry, and, and you know, whenever you're ready, I, I'll be ready for you. And and I'm not saying that the teachers are going to do that every time, but there has to be a time and space for the children to process the emotions without shaming them for it. Oh, I think that's such an important piece is, like, without shaming them for it. And the I think it takes so much self-control for what you said that you do with your child. Um, a, in apologizing, um, 
even though, you know, like maybe in schools or a work environment or in other households, the parent is like, you know, because I said so or, you know, do as I say and, and that sort of thing. But owning up to like, I apologize for hurting your feelings. I'm, I understand like that whole piece is important because the moment you stop the emotion or what they're going through, then they haven't processed it. Right. So when you sit there and um, maybe in that same situation and, and you're hugging on them while they cry and it stops them from crying and it consoles them, but it makes us feel better, right? Because we, we were able to like calm them down and we're like, okay, good. They stopped crying. I don't feel terrible anymore. But then they haven't pro- processed that thought, that emotion, just like you said, think, act, feel of everything that happened and they only got halfway through it. So the next time it might escalate because they haven't learned how to regulate in that sense. Not that I'm Warren G in this situation, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, you know. no, I, I, I agree. And I would say one more thing, like yeah. when you understand, when you understand energy and understand that the vibrations are tied to certain emotions, right? So there are certain emotions that you're, you're in a low vibration and you're feeling these things. And, and you're, if you're in a high vibration, then you, you almost like don't see anything wrong, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in love and gratitude and whatever. So if you, if there's a kid, if, if the kid, if you know what the kid enjoys and you're able to get him engaged with something that he enjoys, um, that does wonders in terms, in terms of raising your vibration and you are able to just get out of that trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes it takes skill to do that. It takes practice to do that. But I, I I believe that that's one of the quickest ways to be able to almost like for them to get out of that stuckness because you get you get stuck in that autonomic nervous system response and and you get stuck. You know, and some people exercise is a good way to release some of that. You know, so there's different things that don't necessarily require you to sit down and. And apologize in the moment. You will get to it later once you're not. So the the priority is to get you out of that trigger, that emotional trigger. And there's many ways to do that. Um, and you just have to explore the ones that work for different people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that if we get get the educators to be smart, at no, uh, recognizing that as a, a normal response, because those emotions are kind of stored inside of that kid, and they're just finding a way out. So if we can allow that kid a safe environment to let them out that doesn't hurt people, um, that will do wonders for that. And that kid will probably become your best fan, number one fan (laughs) for that teacher. Yeah. Because you establish now that safe emotional connection and they'll feel safe with you. Yes. The trust is really important there. And I think, um, a challenge may be the teacher's own patience, right? Like with themselves and with yeah. the child, because it's one thing if you have it with, you know, Sally has an emotional breakdown in the morning and then you work through that and you work through what you and I are discussing, but then, you know, not long after snack time, then it's Johnny and then it's, you know, like whoever else after uh, the playground because they got into a fight. And so when you have all these kids coming at you with <laughs> these emotions and you're sitting there like, really, can we just like practice reading right now? Um, I, I think that's another uh, piece that there's so many pieces, I think, that teachers and educators can be given to uh, grow themselves. Uh, but from my experience, uh, being a, a teacher and, and supporting teachers in their environment, I find that it's really almost like they're given a playbook 
of this is what needs to happen from for these next this next semester or this next year with these kids that are left in your care and um, go at it because this is what you were taught to do in college and what might be lacking is well wait let's go back to early childhood psychology and let's just reiterate some important points that you're going to take with you and make sure that you um you know, involve in, in this environment, because I think the other thing and, and not to get, uh, morbid, but you know, it's a factor is that there's, it's scary being in school right now. It's scary being in school with, um, the immune systems and just worrying about being sick. Um, and then the second piece is just the threat of violence and the high school up the block from us, which, which is, this is really ironic. They've had a couple of bomb threats, um, in maybe the past month or two. And yet in the newspaper today, our city that I live in right now is rated as the safest city in Florida. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, what else is going on in other schools in Florida that puts our city at number one when I know about a bunch of situations that have occurred in our city. So then I wonder, well, where does that communication and that allowance trickle from? Because are teachers empowered to handle children's emotions? Because sometimes it's like, who are you to tell my kid that it's okay to feel that way? Or, you know, maybe teachers don't want to get involved when the kid's emotions are high and it's anger because out of fear of getting hurt or, Um, escalating the situation and not knowing how to de-escalate or three, they're not empowered because they've gone to maybe their boss, like the principal or the superintendent and said, Hey, you know, I've tried a couple of times again with Sally. And if your name is Sally, I'm not talking about you, my audience, I'm just throwing a name out there, but you know, I've had a couple of conversations with Sally and her parents and her behavior is not changing. I need your support. She's threatened to do X, Y, Z in school um, blah, 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 blah. And nobody does anything. And then Sally goes ahead and fulfills what she said she was going to do. And she heard somebody really bad and everything comes back to the teacher for not doing anything. And the teacher is sitting there like, what else was I supposed to do? Right. So yeah, I think like the challenge there too, is what is that support from a higher level? Um, and what does that communication look like? And so I'm going to pass it to you in just two seconds, but I had brought this story up when you and I last talked about the girl that was bullied in her middle school. And then the video went viral because of course they filmed her, you know, being in uh, a fight where a couple of girls jumped her. And then two days later, she, um, you know, took her own life, sadly, 14 years old. And, the, you know, the father was like, I wish the school did more to support my daughter and to make sure that she was safe because this wasn't the only incident we had gone to them before. And instead of the school even releasing condolences first or anything like that, the superintendent says it's the father's fault because the father was involved in drugs at one point. The mother committed suicide because the father was having an affair and he's with this new woman and the girl was a problem anyway. And so the superintendent blamed everything on the father. And when you have a superintendent bullying a parent that just lost a child, you got to wonder what kind of culture they create in the school with their communication and with support or lack thereof for their teachers. You know, that was a lot. Sorry. Yeah, that was a lot. So, you know, I I would say that we we are kind of hardwired to protect 
in this case, the reputation of the school, the reputation of the, you know, the superintendent himself, or, and we forget to be human. Yeah. We, we forget we get that to recognize mindset. the humanity of the situation, right? So, so we, survival takes over, and all of a sudden, I have to uh, bully you. Yeah. Instead of admitting what could have been better or what we did or, you know, it's just we lose our humanity when we are um, in this competitive mindset. Like we just have to prove that it wasn't my fault, you so, know. Yeah. So I think so, that's a good transition, though, to like from the school bullying to the business workplace bullying. Right. So let's stick with the superintendent, but go to like that business mindset that you're talking about. And, you know, just to throw this out there, he he was let go or he um, quit on his own terms. You know how they phrase it, public relations wise. But um, I wonder if if you were going to work with him for his next role in, uh, uh, you know, with the consulting that you do with Proctor Gallagher, what would be the way that you would first approach this? Just so like the audience kind of understands like a little bit of the process yeah, so I would say that the, we we really focus on designing a desired state. So if if I, if I was working with the superintendent or, or that higher management office, right, um, as a response of this incident, we would throat punch design, him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, so I, I would, I would explore. You know, if the superintendent felt like that was the right thing to respond with, then more than likely there's a heavy burden on his shoulders to make sure that the school doesn't do anything wrong. Mm. That's a lot of grace to right? give somebody for you know the, that statement. Yeah. Well, when you understand this, when you understand human behavior, you understand that it's not nothing personal. Like you, you got to get out. You got to get out of the mindset that you're the victim and people are here to hurt you. And it's not it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. People are always doing. And I learned this from Brene Brown, and, and it took me a while to even come to terms with it. People are always doing the best they can, right? Based on and the choices is, they know. Is that is a hard. Well, the, based on their awareness, mm-hmm. you know they. That superintendent is, and I see this, you know, with the professional groups that I work with, that we, I want to get back to your question about what I would do, but um, we feel so uh, pressured to avoid pain, so we do whatever it takes to avoid pain instead of focusing on what we want. So what what we would do is... Forget about that incident for a moment. And what kind of superintendent, superintendency, what kind of <laughs> uh, school system we want and, and, and design exactly the, the, this fantasy story of the school system that you want and what kind of superintendent would you need to be for that to be true? Mm-hmm. So if so, in this case, right? If we want to make sure we have a school system that supports children, that you know, we we have to change your mindset from the survival to designing what you want. Because, like I said earlier, that if if you if you don't get anything from this conversation, get this: everything is a pattern of thought, feeling, and acting. 
So the way that we, uh, the image that that school system has about them, what they are capable of doing, more than likely they don't feel capable of handling kids' emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? Especially if they're they, that they far feel- removed. You know, like if you're a superintendent, right. I wouldn't imagine that you would be dealing with kids on a day-to-day basis the way that the teachers are. Right, right, exactly. And, and so it, believe it or not, Tiffany, helping the individual themselves understand their own behavior and why they reacted that way is what opens the door for them to be available to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. If they so, recognize their un- behavior. Well, that, that's why I come in. Yeah. I, I'm the expert <laughs> at that, helping, yes. them, help, helping them understand that, right? And, and working through that initial resistance. I mean, uh, one of the biggest projects that I, uh, outside of the consulting that I've been a part of, required a, um, a, a change, big change in culture shift, you know, 10 years of, of behavior in a certain way, and where they're wanting to change it, and they feel they know the need to change it, they don't know how. So that's why I come in. Hey, it's like, if you understand how your behavior spits out of you <laughs> and what programs your behavior, then you can just reprogram it. And that, this is why I feel like I, I need to shout this out on and, and top of the mountains. Right? I need to be all over the news to, to say that we can rewire ourselves to behave differently. And you can do that at an individual level, and you can do that at an organizational level by defining that end goal of what you want to become. And this is just such an such an, uh, an odd approach, or it sounds like a you know way out there, but it it is the way that your mind and your brain and your behavior works. So you, go ahead. No, no, I'm just agreeing with you, and I think. Um... Like you said earlier, you know, fear plays a huge part in that, in that it causes change, right? And so it's a matter of, well, what will people think of me if I start changing my behavior and who I was? Or I became this way and I got successful this way because of my behavior. So if I change it now, what is that going to mean for me in the future? So I'm just adding to what you're saying. I'm totally with you. Yeah, so so it's uh, that that incident that's in the past, unfortunately, we won't be able to change it, right? If we change our mindset about what, what we're here to do, so what is your role as a superintendent, right? And right now, is reflecting in your behavior that your role is to protect the reputation at all costs, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So so you, you dig a little deeper and transform what that superintendent is, is, is meant to be in that position. And you get to reframe that for that individual themselves, and they help you. And they help you do that because they they kind of it's a back and forth of exploring what you're here to do. What is your what is your role? And then we design that, and then you develop. And you this is the whole part. It's a six month process, right? We you you, uh, you identify the habit habitual behavior that you're engaging right now that is based on the, the old image of the superintendent, right? And how would we frame that habit to support the new image? What, what would you have done in that situation? So you get to program yourself so when that happens again, you are ready to react in a different way. And that is very deep internal work that has to be done in, in, in an individual and, and as an organization, but it's within in, each individual to understand why are we here to do, what are we here to do? Mm-hmm. Why are we here doing this, right? What's important 
in what we're, provi- what we're providing to the school system and, and reframing that goes against, let me tell you, that goes against any, I feel like 95% of people think about the school system as broken, as, you know, you, 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 if you have the money, pay for private, you know, like whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's this image that it carries on so their employees don't really strive to be anything better than that. They don't have to. Right. The, and the culture not, has accepted it to be that. And they're not getting paid enough to do that. Like a lot of times it's on them to provide the, the supplies and the creativity and keep everything going. Yet their primary um, role is similar to what the superintendent's goal is, is keep enrollment high, keep scores high. Um, it's all about the numbers. And yet the teachers that get into this a career is to help mold young minds and to, you know, grow up uh, little humans into great to greater humans. And they're stuck because if those greater humans don't get the scores, then it looks like they're not doing well enough. And yet these humans are kind, they're generous, they're hardworking, and they got all the qualities, but maybe they're getting B's instead of A's. And now the teacher is on a, you know, performance uh, improvement plan which is, you know, like, what do you place your value on? Basically, like what you were saying, you start with the superintendent of and say, what do you want the outcome to be? And then let's look at what needs to change for you to get there. Well, I I think that you, you preach, you always think you preach culture from the top. And and, and I have experienced that in my own, in my own work. And I would say that if, if that superintendent, so you're talking about resources and lack of resources and whatnot. You know how much money the government moves every day? Like, you know how much money moves around? For I know you do. That are the top, <laughs> you know better that, than I do. Right? <laughs> there, right there, there is a lot of money available. They are just channeled to different purposes, Correct. right? Yep. So I, tru- I truly do believe, Tiffany, that if the higher powers within the school system reframe the image of what they believe they're here to do, they will be able to, to share that story from the heart to the higher powers with money. And, and a lot more resources will be available. I hope so. But when you... As an educator and, you know, educating in um, a place that was not a private school, that was a public school, to cut through all the red tape that's there just to get a simple desk, to get a replacement of something that is broken... It takes months and it takes months of communication and forms and paperwork and, you know, why? Why do you need this? And like, you know, oh, well, this person was out and this person didn't improve it. And this person wants you to call. It's it's a lot. And by that time, you've already gone through like eight modules with the students missing whatever it is that you need at that time, you know. So it, I, I think you're absolutely right. And um you know, knowing that there's tons of money that is not allocated the right way. It's, I guess, more so, um, I don't want to say crowdfunding, because that's not what I mean, but like really raising a campaign with your your community and saying, hey, look, we have this, we need to be a voice for this. But nobody shows up to the community meetings to stand up at the podium to speak and talk on it you know they're talking more about why their swales aren't clean or why the garbage men throw their garbage pail on the lawn you know as opposed to why are we where are we putting our funds and why are they not going towards the schools and what they need yeah i I think it requires a change in perspective i think that that's the key and and you are in a situation you know you you can either let's say 
when you're trying, when you're striving for a change, in this case, it would be, you know, having a culture where the reaction from the superintendent would be different. It would be more supportive, would be more understanding, would be more um, encouraging and, and inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what we would have desired to happen. Um, you have to really come at it with um, redesigning that image of what we are as a super as, as a school system um, requires you to really put your heart into it. Yeah, and and this is what this is something that is neglected or not talked about in, in, in a lot of business settings is like when you connect to the bigger why as to why you're here what what your position exists and the role that you play and you connect it with the the the, the effect that it has on the kids and their behavior and their lives and you know i think that you, you have to reframe that so that you own your place the the, the piece of the puzzle that you play you have to own it from that perspective, from that heart connection. And then whatever you speak, listen, this is what I have lived, Tiffany, in an organization where it's all, you know, super analytical, you know, aerospace engineers, you know, like data is everything, you know, how do I get them to open up and realize that, hey, change is scary. And I am so used to being the way I am, but don't talk to me about doing anything different, right? But it is opening them up to, hey, why are we launching these rockets? Why are we trying to go to the moon and Mars? You know, this is the kind of conversations that we're having. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we doing that? Because we are expanding. Humanity is expanding. And we are going to be able to live in other planets and explore other areas and learn so much more. And, we, you know, our creativity is just, the, the aerospace industry is booming right now. So we have uh, a way to enable the industry to explore different, you know, frontiers in the universe. That is a big purpose. That's a big purpose that when you are here, you know, surviving because you, your budget is not enough to, for your project, you forget why you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And, and the school system, you forget that the, the education, you know, provides just the basis for their entire life and how a big of a role you play in those, you know, the professionals that are going to be in the future or the, you know, irresponsible criminals that they're going to be in the future. <laughs> like, you play a big part. You play a big part in shaping that for them. So because of that, we deserve the best resources. We deserve to have mental health included in our in our program. We deserve that because what we're creating is the future for the world. I mean, that's a big image mm-hmm. that people don't like to think about too much, right? So it is um, in order for you to, as a consultant, to really make that frame, uh, reframing, you have to speak directly to their emotions, and that is the kind of the 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 the, the backhand uh, secret about it. Yeah, you have to connect them with an emotional purpose, so right. that we can align the behaviors and the habits and the decisions towards that purpose. And that's what I would strive to do. And, and, and what that purpose is, is developed, you know, between the organization and the consultant. But you reshape that and then you uh, give them, and what I do is I give them a, a thought process, a framework to, to make decisions that support that. Whenever they're confronted with any, you know, a scandal shows up and, and something happens, bullying happens, how do we respond based on this new image of who we are? And that is powerful. 
that is super powerful. And it's because inspiring. Because it gives you, like, filters. Yeah, it, yeah, it gives you filters as to how, how am I going to make this decision? How am I going to react? What would that superintendent of this great school system that, we're designed, that we have designed, how would he react? Mm-hmm. And it just changes the game completely. And let me tell you, it is simple things that have great impact that people are so afraid to talk about. For sure. <laughs> and when you are not afraid to talk about that, if when you're not afraid to push initiatives that are simple actions that have the greatest impact, you, you skyrocket your practice. Yeah, not only that, but you end up like sitting together at a restaurant talking for like two and a half hours about life because you're just on the same page. Um, part of what, right. like, right. <laughs> part of what you're saying reminds me of um, somebody that I follow a lot. You know that that changed my life for what I needed at that time, and that's Simon Sinek. And he talks about the infinite game and the finite game in business and in life. And um, one thing he says is about like, you know, you have to define the culture and business like you shared. But then he talks about the vision, which changed my mindset on it. And he says, when you create a vision for your organization, it's not something that you plan on achieving. He said, it's actually something that you can see and it's from a distance, but you haven't gotten there yet. It's what you're working towards as your purpose. That's what's inspiring you to keep doing what you're doing for the organization towards a common goal. But that vision is like the dangling carrot. It keeps moving a little further and further to yeah. keep defining your purpose. And that the that business and numbers, if you're doing it right, it's always going to be an infinite game. You're never going to achieve the top all like all the time every time um and that it's always going to be okay like being number one because it's it's an infinite game there's not something that measures um what's after this like if that superintendent let's say nothing let's say none of that had happened let's say we erased the past from that and he's still focused on the numbers of enrollment the grades and the scores that the students get on sats or whatever it is uh for the school for middle schools to go to high school in that area um once he achieves that let's say he's in the highest rankings there's still infinite possibilities of growth right because you could still have more enrollment you could still hire more teachers you could still get higher grades and and so thinking that it's always finite and it's like okay i did what i was supposed to do and i'm done um having that mindset changes the vision and the purpose and the communication within the organization that you're with um another piece i was going to share is that i love how you shared about the think act feel um that everybody goes through that because that's what i use in a different way I think a different way correct me if I'm wrong when I when I explain this um I share that when talking about communication between the teams and organizations so um and it's actually something Jeff and I learned because we did marriage counseling before we got married and the biggest part that I took away from this is that I have to understand that if I when I'm in a situation what do I do first So if there is an emergency situation, do I think about it first? Do I feel something first or do I act on it first? And for me, I act very quickly. I like I would be the one that runs into a burning building. And then while I'm in there, I'm thinking, oh, this was probably a bad idea. And then I would probably start to feel like panic. Right. That's kind of like my chain of behaviors right there. Whereas Jeff, he thinks about things first. And then he sees how he feels about what he was thinking about, and then he'll act on it. 
And as a couple, we have to understand our behaviors because if I need something done or I just want something done, I want it done like ASAP, right? But Jeff is like, yeah, let me think about it. It's not urgent. I don't really feel like it's urgent. And then, you know, I'll do it after um, I get done what I feel is urgent. And my patience can diminish because I'm like, I'll just do it myself, you know, if he's not going to do it now. And he's over there thinking, why did she do it? I could have done it. That was stupid, you know, and it's but it's understanding behaviors and um, knowing that he might think about it for a long time. He might feel something for like a short period of time and then it might take him like an instant to react right after that. So it's not even how uh, it's not just how it happens in order. It's also the time frame as how it happens, because I will act instantly and then I'll just like feel something and then I'll think about it and just like kind of sit and disassociate. So I love that you use that and communicate to people like hey, like these are the three things that are going to get you through a situation and you have to have the tools to to move through that. And I love that it can also be used in communication and understanding, you know, the work partners that you have and what the culture and the vision and the mission is of the company that you have. And also, you know, to analyze a situation of, okay, what do you think happened in that situation? And what do you think could have been done better? How did it make you feel? And then like, what would you do next time? Let's talk about that behavior. And let's map that out and plan it. So I I think like, that's a great uh, communication piece that both of us can give to the world today of just improving communication and being aware before, you know, being, you know, consciously incompetent, they may understand it now, but they may not know how to put it into play until they're in that situation. Yeah, I think I, I, when I really got into the study of human behavior, I felt, and I did a video, I said, this is the secret sauce to life. Because Mm -hmm. when you understand this, this applies to business, to your relationships, to your parenting, to yourself, like, it it, is everything, right? It's understanding how you work. So I want to touch a couple of things that you mentioned before about um, division and having that being something that you kind of don't don't achieve, but it's always there. So um, I the the quote uh, the definition of success that I think I fell in love with the most is from Earl Nightingale, which is one of the fathers of personal development, and it says success is a the realization uh, the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Ooh. The mm-hmm. success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Oh, you said it twice, so, and I didn't fact, have to ask. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so the the um the actually the first two we first module that we work with the clients, whether it's in business or, or per, in, in person, uh, personal individuals, is called worthy ideal, and it is developing that why. What is it that there's always, you know, you're always, you're calling me because you want to improve something. Mm-hmm. So let's connect you to your why. Why do you want it? What is what is changing that's going to allow you to be or do, and 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 attach that to yourself. And why are you going to be able to be or do for the people that you care about? And it's again back to getting that emotional connection because change happens when you're emotionally connected to the why. Absolutely. Permanent change happens when you're emotionally 
emotional connect to the why, right? So that's going to take you from your 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 New Year's resolution lasting but a couple of weeks into January to be able to sustain that progress and continue to change behaviors permanently. So you have to be connected to your why. So we help develop, help clients develop that worthy ideal and we equate it to like climbing Mount Everest, right? If you were to climb Mount Everest and you know what your goal is, uh, which is right at the top, you're going to, you're not going to go from the, from down to there in like one hour, not even one day, right? You're going to set that as your goal, but in the, in the journey, you're going to have base camps and you're going to be like, oh, I, if I can get to this spot right here within five hours, you know, I'm making good progress. So you, so success becomes the journey to achieve that big goal. We call it type C goals. And the type A goals is something that you know you can do. That's not a good goal because, you, you, there's no growth in that. The type B goals is something that you think you can do. There's no inspiration in that goal. You're not going to make permanent shifts in your behavior to be able to achieve that. So type C goals are something you have no idea how to get. And which, which back to the example of that superintendent, would be that perfect image of what you want the school system to be. Right. And that is your goal. If you make that your goal, then you train yourself so that your thinking, feeling, and behaviors reflect that image. And you transform. When I tell you that you transform, you transform for real. Because all of a sudden, it all comes down to a way that you make decisions that happens within you. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? I'm it happens you. within you. Mm-hmm. So the, the power that I'm able to bring out of people is to understand that it's all within you, and you have much more power to transform yourself in the organization that you really believe right now. So I, I wanted to touch back on that, that vision and that big, worthy ideal. You talked about, you know, the journey and how you, the journey is going to be a, a, a series of success and failures. Mm-hmm. And this is what stops mo- most people from progressing into what they want. And uh, because failures are involved and failures are going to be involved. You're going to have a series of success or, or failures. We call it a... a um, a progression of, of growth, like an orderly progression of growth, because you're going to have to change behaviors that are now so habitual that you do them automatically, right? That that reaction from the superintendent was automatically. That is what he felt like he should have done at that moment. Mm-hmm. He believed it, and he did it. So reframing what a superintendent should be doing, reacting that way, and being able to really uh, reprogram your mind so that you actually behave differently. It takes some time. So you're going to have periods of success and failures in behaving and acting different ways. So but now I want to touch on the, the thinking, feeling, and acting, which you, I believe is the secret sauce to life. And this is what I meant to hear to share with people. So um, really, the thinking, it comes from your conscious mind. And your conscious mind, like it's what you think, where you acquire knowledge, where you get your to-do list, where you read the books, and you understand that you can do things better, da-da-da. And your subconscious mind is your emotional mind, is what you feel uh, about everything, what you feel about what you're capable of, what you should be doing, you're not worthy of, um, and things like that. Your behavior reflects 5% of what you think from your conscious mind and 95 from what you feel. I'll say that again. So your behavior is influenced 5% from what you think and 95% from your subconscious mind, which is how you feel. 
So you meant, I want to go back to your example of, you know, you wanted things to be like a right away, being done right away. And, uh, and, and your husband doesn't, right? So, uh, you, for you, it's a habitual pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting like the urgency is right now. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, you feel like something bad is going to happen if it doesn't get done right now. Therefore, you want everybody to do it right now the way that you would have done it. Well, it depends. Like, if it's laundry, no, I'm not like that uh, serious about it, you (laughs) know. But like, if there's something urgent going on, then yeah, I absolutely act, and I don't look for like what safety concerns could be around. Like, it's definitely acting. So let's say it's not laundry, and it's something that you definitely believe it has to be done right now. (laughs) And he's like, "Well, no, I can get it later, right?" Like that happens. That happens all the time. So, so then you automatically. I'm gonna get in trouble later, just so you know. (laughs) <laughs> Look, well, I can, we can We're stop, calling Jeff out. I'm, I'm going to get to him. <laughs> I'm going to get to him later. But, uh, so anyway, my, my point is that you it's a habitual pattern of thinking and acting, feeling and acting for you. Mm-hmm. Leaving it for later, it is also a habitual pattern of feel, thinking, feeling, and acting for him. Mm-hmm. So, and, and not acting like, like leaving it for later <laughs> You know, they can you can put the shame on me, but it's going to uh, it's going to feel for him like no man, I don't have to like it's something it's going to bring up something negative like this is like the fundamental mechanics of everyday life. Mm-hmm. So so what I come in and and do is not accept that one is better than the other, but analyze the real perceived risk. So if if we don't do it right now, what is going to happen? Right. And let's let's see what that worst case scenario is, and how would you respond to that? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, there's not a worst case. Nothing's going to happen. And 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 same with the other scenario, right? If you were to, to if it's something urgent, if we were to do it right now, um, you know, we we go through the same exercise or whatever. But but it's really like peeling the onion of your emotions. Mm-hmm. So that you can really make an objective assessment of what needs to be done. And that way you break away from your habitual patterns of behavior and you start questioning and making the decisions based on that image of what you're trying to be. And this is kind of all how it all plays together, right? Your, your, your habitual pattern of getting things done right now can be beneficial for certain things, but it's serving you when it doesn't have to be right now and you're overworking yourself. Right. Right. You like, get into burnout. You have to, re- yeah, you get into, right. You get into burnout and, 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 and you're not more than likely, you're not producing any bigger results by burning yourself out. Mm-hmm. So you just believe that you have to do it. That, that this is the way, this is the way to growth. This is the way you got to do it. it. So it is just a pattern. So as a, as a coach and as a consultant, you come in and, and identify those patterns for the client that they are unaware of because it runs out of their subconscious mind, meaning that you're not consciously thinking about it. So you, you behave in certain ways that are common to you and you have accepted them as the way to be. <laughs> so if they are not serving you for what you want, we have to reshape that and you have to become aware of it. And that's where we come in. Right. And sometimes it's not even that it might, 
you might think it serves you until you realize that it's either making you sick or causing anxiety or causing the burnout. Like it, you might have to wait until you get to that down point, kind of like where I was asking you earlier um, in the show, like what was your turning point to, you know, decide that you wanted to think differently? It, it's going to be this, you know, because the universe will serve it over and over to you until you get it um, from what I believe and listen to, you know, for our audience, I'll tell you one conversation with Diddy and all of a sudden I'm starting to wake up earlier because I was complaining about not wanting to wake up at 5 a.m. And then sure enough, the next day after I was talking to her, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. and I'm waking up earlier and earlier every day and I'm on my mind and I should text her every time I wake up and say, it's because of you I'm waking up earlier because <laughs> it's, it's just happening. So it's even the small pieces of conversation where you walk away with something. So just imagine what that would be for our listeners right now um, if you connected with Diddy. So Diddy, I'm going to turn it over to you for a second to go ahead and share um, how our listeners could get in touch with you and to view the materials and um, see your social media and also connect with you to book with you. Uh, What's the best way? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Tiffany, for having me here. It's been always a pleasure. I hope it's not the last time. And, oh, yeah, um, no. Uh-uh. I, I really, uh, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, always enjoy, always enjoy my interactions with you. So uh, my website is Didi Vasquez. That is D-I-D-D-Y-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. I'll say it again. D-I-D-D-Y-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z.com. And there you'll find... Uh, all the programs that the Proctor Gallagher Consultant, I am either uh, offering either a self-study. We have a bunch of programs to self-study. And uh, also the uh, facilitation, which is the Thinking into Results program that teaches you the entire thinking into results process. You know, how to understand your thinking, your thoughts, your feelings, your action, your behavior. And uh, also um, based on uh, the fundamental mechanics of achievement. If you're familiar with the book Think and Grow Rich or The Science of Getting Rich, it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do to understanding your thinking and how it drives, you know, the way that you behave and the results that you achieve. So um, that that program is based on, you know, 75 years of study and research at the Proctor Gallagher that has done to develop a system that people can easily follow. And it comes with a workbook. We work through the 12 modules. We have uh, lessons and Q&As. You can find uh, more information about the modules in my website right there. Um, and then you can find me on social media. I'm on TikTok, on Facebook, and Instagram. What's your TikTok um, you handle? Can, everything is Didi Vasquez, D-I-D-D-Y-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. Okay, good. And um, so so if you are ready for the next level of personal development and and you want to really break through uh, what, your, what the performance that you are um, at right now, and like I said, that is not limited to business performance. Uh, it, it could be performance in your relationships. It could be performance in your health. It could be uh, performance in any area of your life because ultimately it comes down to the, the image that you hold that you're capable of. And that's what I, I'm an expert at, understanding your patterns of behavior and identifying those beliefs that you, what you feel you're worthy and capable of. We call that your self-image. And we help you transform that so that your actions that are going to cause bigger results are automatic. So very it's cool. a very transformational program, and I think it, it, I know that it changes lives. It changed mine and my clients, so I, I'm excited every time that I get somebody interested in that because it's certainly living at a an, an next level of understanding of what you're capable of, and that's what human potential is all about. And at this time, do you have a podcast? 
I don't have a podcast. No, Not, yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to hear the feedback that we get from this. We're definitely going to have to uh, do more because we have so much more to talk about. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge. And I'm so thankful that we have met. And to our listeners, um, I will leave show notes in the podcast so that you guys can visit Diddy's website and you could also find her information there. And if you're on my social media, uh, Tiffany Rufino on Facebook, you'll see uh, the information about the podcast and how to reach out to both of us. And once again, thank you for liking, subscribing, and don't forget to share. 